Okay, I'm on. Yes, yes, yes. God's grace is sufficient even in my uh, absence of turning on the microphone. So once again, let me reintroduce myself. Uh, I'm Lance Lofton, one of the pastors here at Newbury Church. We're so glad that you have joined us uh, this morning to worship, to gather around the gospel, to gather around the word of God, and to just be present uh, with the Lord this morning. We know that it's not ideal that you aren't joining us uh, in present, in person, but uh, we know that his church far exceeds uh, Portland Avenue. We know that his church far exceeds any brick or mortar, but we know that his church is made of the people of God, performing the work of God to the glory of God. Amen. This morning, I want to encourage us from the book of Matthew, chapter 6, verses 5 through 14, as our pastor John already pointed out, looking at the Lord's Prayer. Uh, just a little context here why I've chose this passage. Over the past few weeks, we've been reading the book of Daniel. We're in a series um, in Daniel. Pastor Michael is out this week, but I wanted to uh, explore and, and, and look at and exalt the Lord uh, and how he commanded us to pray. Because if we're looking at Daniel and how he was able to stand when the world bowed and how he was able to bow to the triune God, to Yahweh, when the world stood to Nebuchadnezzar, he prayed three times a day, if you can remember that in the text. And I want us to look at transformational talks with God, how the Lord's prayer makes us more like him. Transformational talks with God, how the Lord's prayer makes us look more like him. And the big idea this morning in church is that praying the Lord's Prayer um, is how we can be sanctified in such a way that we look more like the Father. Praying the Lord's Prayer is how we can be sanctified, which means set apart for His purposes, to look more like the Father. If you would, get your Bibles with your family. Gather around God's Word, as we are called to do, and open up the text to Matthew chapter 6, verses 5 through 14. Matthew chapter 6, verses 5 through 14. And I'll be reading from the Christian Standard Bible. Um, I have this Bible, but if you have a different version, that's okay. The call is to be faithful to the text, not to a translation. Amen. And it reads it such. Whenever you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, because they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by people. Truly, I tell you, they have their reward. But when you pray, go into your private room, shut your door, and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who is in secret will reward you. When you pray, don't babble like the Gentiles, since they imagine they'll be heard for their many words. Don't be like them, because your Father knows the things you need before you ask Him. Therefore, you should pray like this. Our Father in heaven, your name be honored as holy. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And do not bring us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For if you... Excuse me. For if you forgive others of their offenses, your heavenly Father will forgive you as well. But if you don't forgive others, your Father will not forgive you of your offenses. Father, as we 
delve into your word this morning. It is a paramount precedent that we acknowledge your name is holy this morning, that you are set apart all by yourself due to certain characteristics that you do not share with us, and that is okay. In fact, it's something that we need to be true. We cannot save ourselves. We need you to be holy and perfect apart from us. We need you to be eternal apart from us. And so this morning, Father, I pray that this text, that this prayer would be a heart that would change our prayers, that this prayer would lead us to transformational prayer to look like Jesus when the world caves in on us, Father. We love you and thank you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. I can remember when I was young and I went to church and on one particular occasion, I noticed that there were some people who gathered early and they would pray in a circle. And one day, they asked me to pray. And mind you, I'm all of 16 years old, and I'm the youngest person in the circle. And it is a very intimidating feeling when you have seen uh, your brothers and sisters in the Lord pray each morning uh, in front of uh, what we would call like a call to worship setting or maybe like a, a, you know, a, pre, a pre-first song setting. And so one day, they were like, hey, why don't you come next week with the prayer? And even after that, I was asked by my pastor at the time to do the pastoral prayer, (laughs) and I would stand behind the pulpit, and it was very daunting. And I bring this up because when I was asked to pray, I got up, held the microphone in front of my brothers and sisters, and I prayed. Now, then, then I'm asking myself, what am I going to pray? What am I going to pray to the people of God? And it's this what I've heard my entire life, or Christian walk, which had only been about two years. So you can imagine my prayer emphasis, my prayer focus was not on any particular text that I read, was not on any particular truth that I internalized, was not on any particular covenantal promise that the Lord had revealed through his word, but it was simply what I had heard as a Christian. It was not anything that the Lord had told me himself. It was not based on his word. I didn't want to be embarrassed. I thought it had to be a certain length of time. I did it because I thought that's just what we do. And that's not to knock congregational prayer. Of course, we we just observed our brother John praying, but he prayed through scripture. But I want to remind us this morning that when we go to the Lord in prayer, we do it not for show, but we do it because he has revealed himself to us, and we need him. The first point I want to make this morning is we need to put some respect on the name of the Lord, put some respect on his name. Uh, We see in verse 9, therefore you should pray like this, our Father in heaven, your name be honored as holy. Now there are certain elements of uh, our God that Pastor Michael pointed out before, uh, there are the communicable attributes of God, things that he can share with us, the way we love one another, the way we pray for one another, the way we uh, deal with one another. And then there are the attributes of God that he just simply doesn't share with us, and that's okay. I think it, it would be a grave mistake if we didn't acknowledge that the Father's name is holy. Because if we miss that, we miss the whole point of our relationship with him. Case in point, 
when I was a football player, I played safety. Uh, I was not a good safety. I was a free safety, but basically that meant anyone who ran past me got a free pass to a touchdown. But before we would gather on my seventh grade football team, we would gather around in a circle and we would hold hands and we would kneel and we would recite the Lord's Prayer. And we would say it as I've read it and we would even, um, you know, say a few other things afterwards and I'll get to that later. But we would recite the Lord's Prayer. And I didn't even memorize it. I just literally repeated what they said. But then we would get to the field, and once we would start losing the football game, once the opposition started to encroach their will on us, and we started to lose the game, all evidence of our prayer and devotion before the game was lost. If you look at our sideline, there would be young men cursing and screaming and fighting with coaches, and the prayer that we just prayed had no weight. Brothers and sisters, the name of God is weighty. You have to acknowledge the weight of the Lord's name. You have to acknowledge that. You have to acknowledge that. It is a weighty thing to be a child of God. Psalm 25, 11, Lord, for the sake of your name, forgive my iniquity, for it is immense. The Lord's name alone is weighty. Ezekiel 36, 22, therefore says to the house of Israel, thus says the Lord God, it is not for your sake, O house of Israel, that I'm about to act, but for the sake of my holy name, which you have profaned among the nations which came to you. If we look at scripture in all of its context, when the Lord's name is spoken, things happen, whether that be consequential to the person who does not believe or whether that be uh, in, 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 in great outcome to the person who does believe. We can't do anything without first dealing with, acknowledging, and accepting the Lord's name as holy, as beautiful. And we do that, and we know that by the grace of God, because we are his sons. We call him Abba Father. And Brother John brought up a very good point um, in the text today, like, therefore, you should pray like this, our Father in heaven. He's speaking of a Father, and there are times when we, we, we walk in, in, in this world and we, and we listen to people who have experience in church and they say, I'm just a child of God. I'm just trying to do my best as a child of God. Or we see someone who is not living a repentant lifestyle, who is not submitting uh, to the Lord's word and to his truth. Not that they don't walk in any error at all, but when they do walk in error, they go to him to correct it. We say, oh, well, that's just a child of God. I love everyone. Everyone is not a child of God. I'm here to tell you that Jesus has to sign off on those adoption papers with his blood. Jesus has to sign off on those adoption papers. Ephesians 1, 4 through 5, for he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through 
Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. Jesus Christ has to sign off on those adoption papers. And what I mean by that is, if we are to say that we are children of God, or that this person, or that this group of people are children of God, or that's a child of God, then this person must and should, and by scripture standards of being a child of God in some shit, must proclaim the name of the Lord. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. That is a child of God. That is sonship. That is adoption. Because we acknowledge that he not only had to sign the papers, but he had to put his blood on the line to do it. And if we don't acknowledge that, then we are not children of God. Galatians 4.4, 4, when the time came to completion, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then God has made you an heir. We have his DNA. Not because we are eternally perfect, not because we are omniscient, not because we know everything and do everything perfectly, but because we call out to the son. We call out that we need Jesus and he has adopted us. That is the mark of a child of God. That is how we have the right to call him father. We can dwell on the transcendence of God. It is a beautiful thing. Think of it this way. And I may have used this reference before. When I was growing up, it was like, I want to be like Mike. With the Spike Lee commercials and the shoes, and they just put Michael Jordan on this platform. And it's not a knock to Michael Jordan right now, but you're going to see what I'm getting at. They just put Michael Jordan on this platform, and we saw this man fly through the air. We just saw a 10-part documentary, (laughs) and we were enamored with it. But we saw him fly through the air. He looked different. He could do things that nobody else could do. I mean, he was... He was surpassing stats and people and and iconic figures and he had contracts and he had Gatorade and Nike and McDonald's and we just never seen nothing like this before. It's like you couldn't touch him. In fact, Magic Johnson even said, if you touch him, you get a foul. You can't touch him. He's just he's just set apart on his own. And I'm here to tell you that a whole generation of children born in the 80s and 90s said we see his transcendence, but even yet and still we want to aspire to be like that. And I'm saying that when we see the transcendence of God, it inspires us to look like him. We know that we're not going to share some of those exact qualities with him, but we know that that's something that we should draw ourselves to. Our Father, hallowed be thy name. We got to stop there at times and just acknowledge it. Acknowledge it. It's almost like this, and and I'm giving a lot of illustrations, but they're just on my heart. It's like, has anyone ever... Uh, walked in a room and somebody's parents were in the room or your parents were in the room and you came in from school or Little League or wherever you came from and you went straight to the fridge or you went straight to the bathroom or you went straight upstairs to try to play the, the Dreamcast. That's a reference of old. And your parents said, you better speak to me when you walk in this house. Mm. You better speak to me when you walk in this house because not I'm on this house, but I am your parent. I am your father. You better speak to the father and acknowledge him for who he is, transcendent of who we are, because if not, we won't understand anything else. We won't understand anything else. Put some respect on his name. We can love and respect the transcendence of God, brothers and sisters.
We can dwell on that. Point two, put your mind on the kingdom. Put your mind on the kingdom. And you're like, what is the kingdom? Well, the kingdom is this. God's rule over this world, no matter who's in charge. We know contextually that a lot of these people who were praying outside in the circle in front of the synagogue or the church didn't like Jesus. That's why we have a Savior, quite frankly, a risen Savior, because they tried to kill him, and they did, with the Father's permission, but they didn't like him. Because their idea of a king was some guy on a horse who would overthrow the Roman government. But they had it all wrong. They wanted political power and economic power. And they wanted it done their way. They didn't want to submit to whatever Jesus... Jesus is literally saying in Mark chapter 1, Repent and believe in the gospel for the kingdom of God is at hand. It is here. I am him that you've been looking for the whole time. All this text that you've been reading in the prophets appointing to me. Look at me. And they're like, nah, can you get rid of him? Nope. Okay. And you doing things that we don't like. We have to have a kingdom mindset. It's the looking at our circumstances now, understanding that we can't meet, right? We can't gather right now, but that doesn't mean that God is in vain. That doesn't mean that we put all the blame on the government. It doesn't mean that our sanctification is based on our ability to meet. No, it means that although we want to meet right now and that God calls us to gather weekly over the word, over psalm, over praying, laying hands, we were called to do that, but we can't gather, right? I get it. it, it it's not a great situation, but a kingdom mindset says, you know what? This is not the first and the only and hasn't been the only time that God's church has been squeezed to its capacity to deal with emotional and physical stress and pain. And so the kingdom mindset tells me that just because we can't physically gather here, I need to be looking to my Savior who's already there on the right side of the Father who holds all power in his hand. And he says, hey, I got this. Look at me. Don't look at the decree that was put out this weekend. Don't look at the fact that you can't go to your birthday party or you can't gather or that you have to wear a mask when you go to a restaurant. Don't you looking at the wrong thing. Look at me because this is my kingdom. In a king's kingdom, not everybody's going to fall in line, right? So we get that there are people who plot against the king. We get there are people who don't want to listen to the king. And we get that there are people who actually worship the king. And while we are here, we point people to the king, even though they might not do the same thing. So we don't just throw out this world in totality and say, there's nothing good here. Because they wanted to have their kingdom on their own terms. And these were the people of God who knew the scriptures. And he's saying these people are hypocrites. They do it for show. We don't do it for show. We do it so we can know him. What is a kingdom mindset? It's the already and the not yet. If you look at the Sermon on the Mount and then you see the, the Lord's Prayer in Matthew chapter 6, you're going to also see it in Luke chapter 11. You're going to also see it in Luke chapter 11. And if you look at the context of Luke chapter 11, uh, Luke chapter 11 uh, one commentator says that on an account of what his disciples witnessed him doing, meaning if you look at Luke chapter 1 through 10, You'll see that he was baptized and ordained in Luke chapter 3. You'll see that there's a healing of a lame man in Luke chapter 5. And then you'll see him in Luke chapter 11 when one disciple approaches him and says, 
man, I just saw you praying. Teach me how to pray. Why are they asking him how to pray? Why are they asking him? Now, it's the same prayer documented, but there's a synoptic thing that we can talk about later. I'm sorry, y'all. Y'all might hate me for that. But yes, it doesn't contradict Scripture just because it's in Luke 11 and doesn't have the same discourse around it. But essentially, they have seen the Lord Jesus in these circumstances right after he gets ordained in ministry by John the Baptist, if you want to call it that. Um, he goes to the wilderness, and he's tempted, and he comes back and says, all right, y'all ready? He sees the power of prayer when the Lord heals the lame man. And they see the power of prayer when they see Jesus in Luke chapter 11. They're like, you're doing something that, that and every time we, we see you do this, you, you, you kind of have like this, this power, like we need to know what's happening right now. Because we see you doing these things, and we see you praying, and some of us don't even really understand what's happening, Thomas, you know, but that's us too, right, if we're honest, right? We can't just rag on him. We don't always understand what's happening. Like, I don't know, but like he's saying, okay, look, I'm going to teach you how to pray. I'm going to teach you how to pray, and it's not going to be stuff that's based on you, but it's going to be stuff that's based on me. You need to know how to pray in order to have a kingdom mindset. Because if you're not praying with a kingdom mindset, then you won't be equipped to do kingdom work. Whether you're a mother, whether you're a father, whether you're a deacon, whether you are the technician at Apple, whether you are a pastor, no matter what you do in this world, prayer is needed. Don Whitney wrote a book called Spiritual Disciplines for the Christian Life for the Purposes of Godliness. And he is arguing uh, in the prayer chapter that prayer it's a spiritual discipline, meaning you, it's something that the Christian should do daily, and we'll get to that in a second. But it's only second to one thing, the Bible intake. And Brother John might get to that next week in the weeks to come. But it's only second to one thing. So outside of like actually reading your Bible, the next most important thing you can do is pray. And you may not be a pastor, and you may not be getting ready to die on a cross. I get that. But you are called to proclaim the word of God as a believer. You are called to show off Christ where life exists, and we may be called to suffer well at some point. In fact, we're called to suffer well daily. But, and if you're trying to do this without prayer, it won't work. You will be miserable because you'll just be praying what you heard from somebody else. And you won't, I mean, and it'll be dry, and you're like, prayer doesn't work. I've heard people say prayer don't work. I'm like, that's not true. <laughs> That's not true. We don't exalt ourselves, brothers and sisters. We do not exalt ourselves. And even when someone says prayer doesn't work, what are you praying for? Your will or God's will? Because I got two examples in Scripture where faithful people did not get their prayers answered. Let's start with 2 Corinthians 2.7. Paul, therefore, so I would not exalt myself, a thorn in my flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to torment me, so that I would not exalt myself. Concerning this, I pleaded with the Lord three times, right? You know, like that's enough. Three is like a completion thing, whether it be three days on the cross, whatever. But like th th that seems reasonable, right? I pleaded with the Lord multiple times that it would leave me. And he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is perfected in your weakness. I need you to hold on to this for a minute so you can look more like me. So you can trust me in this matter. That's not enough. How about we just go to Jesus himself? 
How about we just go to the fact that he said, Father, Father, let this cup pass. Your will be done. If, if I really got to do this, I get it. But I really don't want to do this. And he stayed there clearly. And he died on the cross for our sin. So let's not get it twisted. Just because we think we know the word and we think that what we're asking for is reasonable doesn't mean our prayers are going to be answered because it may not be something that God needs from you in this season of life right now. I would love to sleep eight hours. Not going to happen. <laughs> but as a result, I'm so weary when I get up, I have to go to Scripture in order to hold my child. That's the only way it works. That's the only way it works. Pray with his kingdom in mind, not yours. That's my point of application. I know it's not long and drawn out and something, I mean, but if you need more application, I don't know what to tell you other than like when you pray, use, you can use this model, but understand that you want to see God glorified in your prayer and not your heart satiated. That's not the point. The point of prayer is not to have a satiated heart for God to just massage your heart and make it all better and go away. The point of prayer is to be connected to the one who can. And if he so chooses, we love you, Father. And if he doesn't, we love you, Father, because it is about you and not us. Because if I got everything I wanted and now I got everything he wanted and Sister Crystal got everything she wanted, we would be in a pretty rough situation. Amen? Amen. I think we would all agree to that. I think we would all agree to that. Point number three. Put your soul's satisfaction in the Savior. Put your soul's satisfaction in the Savior. This is verses 11b through 13. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And do not bring us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Give us this day. Give us today our daily bread. So bread in the first century was a staple. It was something that they used to sustain um, themselves. It was, it's a carb, I guess. So, I mean, it, 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 they, they had it, you know. They wanted it each day to eat. I mean, you can make a reference there, but I don't think Jesus is just meaning give me something to eat every day. Because we know scripturally, hermeneutically, that man cannot live off bread alone. And even, let me take you back to a place where the people of God were given bread daily, but they weren't satisfied. Let's look at when they were wandering through the wilderness and the Lord said, all right, I got you with this manna. Then they started to complain, and it wasn't good enough. It didn't taste right, you know. They started to act up, and it just, it just, even that wasn't sufficient, right? It wasn't sufficient because their hope was in the physical need alone and not the spiritual nourishment that we need from the Father daily to sustain a walk with Jesus. We need to go to the Father daily, our daily bread. The Bible makes a few references to the bread of heaven, you know, bread of heaven. It's the song we sing, you know. Jesus is described as the, as, as the bread of heaven, right? And then we also go to our Lord's Supper, and he says, take this bread, my body, that was broken for you. Eat. That's what we need to be taking in every day. Christ. 
That's the sustaining factor <laughs> of sanctification, Christ. It's not anything that I eat. I can get on a diet that is healthy, that is uh, great for my uh, lifestyle or whatever, but I'm still not going to see Jesus, and we clearly know that, but I just want to emphasize that. But you need to dwell on the bread of heaven, Jesus. Give us this day our daily bread. And so, as you can remember from... Um, the first part of that text, he's saying, hey, look, don't go in front of the church in, a, in, in groups and pray for show, but go to your father who's in secret and he will reward you. And so I'm going to say that part of our point of application is, look, when you pray and get with the Lord, be consistent and pray his will. Find a place each day. It don't have, I mean, it don't have to be necessarily shut off in a quiet room, but like, man, feed yourself. And I'm thinking, because I was even talking to my wife this week, like, how does one with a job and all these things going on, like, sustain a healthy, you know, meditation lifestyle? And Brother John, please help us out next week or in the weeks to come. But um, I'm reminded of what I learned uh, from Joshua when it said that Joshua, you know, wrote the law of God on his heart. And I'm thinking, what? That don't make sense. And if you think of Joshua's occupation, what did he do? You know, he was kind of a military leader. And I don't know about you, but my guess is it wasn't a whole lot of free time when they were trying to overcome these battles of Jericho. I don't know. And maybe you have a job or maybe you have a lifestyle with children that won't allow for a certain quiet place for an extended amount of time. Well, Jesus could pray in the garden whenever he wanted because he kind of gave up his carpenter job. Yeah, but that's not the point. The point is that you make it such a priority to feast on the word of God that he will be faithful to allow you to have it in your heart. That's why um, it's not uncommon. My wife and I always talk like in this uh, first century context, they had to memorize things. This just wasn't accessible to anybody. Like, think about it. Like, I mean, not everybody just got a copy of the law in their back pocket. Like, all right, bet. Pull out the law. Okay, all right, you know. No, you, you got to kind of know this stuff. Like, this is something that you internalize. You feast on this daily. Now, it was a more vocal culture, but, but the point is, guys, we got to have our daily bread. And I don't mean just a little pamphlet. I mean, find time in the day. Memorize something. Get creative with apps, but just recite it, quite frankly. I had to recite this scripture to myself every day this week. Not because I wanted to appease you, because I legit needed it. I needed it. Without it, I would have been so sad. I would have been so sad and just messed up my mind and heart like, man, I needed it. I needed my daily bread. And I hope that, you know, the Lord's prayer will uh, lead you to seeking him every day. This week, um, a kid came to me and said, I don't want to go to school because I'm afraid to get sick. And we, we kind of processed that a little bit. And he said, did God plan this? And I was like, man, let me sit down and answer that question because I think it was Francis Schaeffer said, an honest answer deserves, an honest question deserves an honest answer. And I told him, you asking me an honest question, so I have to give you an honest answer. And so essentially, it just led me to dwell on what I was reading all week. And I said, look, I need to share the gospel with you. Because if I just say yes or no, 
you're going to walk away and go back into this setting where you're not really taught the Bible and just tell your friends, well, you know, God planned this, or no, this ain't God. So I had to walk him through uh, God's creation and, and sin and how sin affects the world and how even illness is a part of sin, and, and, but, but God desires his people to be whole and healthy and how Adam and Eve had that in the garden, but because of their sin, they had to leave the garden, and when you are not in the presence of God, when you are not when they weren't in the presence of God, that's when they had to have some other issues, whether it be working or childbirth and all that things, like they were a curse, essentially. And so after that long conversation, um, I'm reminded that I need to talk to my father to get the right information, to, to, to know him. I need to talk to my father. I need to talk to my father. Because if I don't, um, as we see... In verse 11, in verse 12, actually, and forgive us our debts. I'll just read it. As we also have forgiven our debtors and do not bring us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And it made me think, like, I wonder, is he thinking that God did this on purpose? Like that this is God's doing and God is like the reason. Like he can hold God accountable for this, for this broken situation. And it made me think God is not the reason we sin. God is not the reason we sin. Romans six fourteen through 16, For sin will not rule over you, because you are not under the law, but under grace. What then? Should we sin, because we are not under the law, but under grace? Absolutely not. Don't you know that if you offer yourselves to someone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of that one you obey, either sin leading to death or of obedience leading to righteousness? If we are obedient in the will of God, we will find righteousness. It's not going to be easy. It's not going to be a cakewalk. But we are to fight sin well. And we can't blame God for it. She made me do it. He made me do it. This situation made me do it. This sermon was written incoherently because I didn't have enough time to write. That's not an excuse. That's not an excuse. God is not the reason we sin. But when we do sin, the Lord commands us, confession of sin and forgiveness of sin are marks of a godly relationship with God himself and the people of God. These first three uh, verses in the Lord's Prayer have nothing to do with us and everything to do with God, but God is faithful and kind and just and loving and all those things that he can relate to us. He says, look, I'm going to show you what you should be doing in light of who I am. Brother, now, forgive me for forgetting your birthday. Forgive me for being angry with you. Forgive me, brother. You know? Like, we can confess sin. It's okay. It's okay. I'm not saying that it's to anyone about everything, but I'm saying that we need to be a people who are in the pattern of habit, not only in our prayer lives, because we do confess sin to God. That's how he deals with it. That's how we know that we can, he's he, the, the place that we bear our burdens, because he took the cross already, and he's, he, he's built for that. We're not. We're not built to just wear our sin, because if we do that, then we just fall into more sin and more sin and more sin, and it leads to death according to Corinthians. Worldly sorrow leads to death. So we don't have to be sorrowful like this world, but we can be sorrowful in the Lord Jesus Christ, and we can look more like him as a result for that. 
If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. 1 John chapter 1, verses 9 through 10. We have the freedom to confess sin and be faithful to our brothers and sisters, but more importantly, be faithful to God. Father, you would not tell your father. On that side of heaven, he's a good father. And fathers want to know their children. And so we can go to him joyfully, gleefully, sadly, weeping, as we saw Jesus did. Father, look, I can't do this. But you call me to do it. So I'm going to do it. But even then, it's like, I have disobeyed you, not Jesus, us. I have disobeyed you. I have hurt my brother. I have defaced my brother. I have defaced my sister. I have turned the Imago Dei upside down on someone. Forgive me for that. And believe it or not, that's how we pursue righteousness. But it's also on the brother or sister to receive that, to be forgiving. Ephesians 7, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on this earth. This is part of the kingdom of God, where he reigns and has authority. Our relationships with one another. If the Lord can so richly forgive as an act of grace, then surely we can. Because, quite frankly, I'm not hallowed. I'm hollow, but I'm not hallowed. So I'm not better than now. I'm not better than my sister Chris. So, yes, we, we, we forgive one another. We bring uh, sin in front of one another. We don't have to hide it and conceal it and think that we can just stand in the public square and not... Um, deal with brokenness like, like the hypocrites did. It's okay. Let's be vulnerable. That's part of the kingdom of God. We can be vulnerable with one another. It's okay. And there's a way we do it. There's a way we do it. You know, we don't throw anybody under the bus. We stay current according to Ephesians 4. Um, you know, we speak with seasoned salt in love. We point them to the text. We don't just say, yeah, you did that and I hate you for the rest of your life. No, we don't do that. No, we say, all right, well, how do we look more like Jesus together? How does this lead us to righteousness and not be hypocritical? As I bring this sermon to a close, you're going to notice that it doesn't have the doxology, which is something to this effect that we may have added over the years. Um, for thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. You don't see that here. Um, some people feel like it wasn't documented in enough manuscripts, the original language, and some people feel like it was never there at all. So that's why we don't see it here. If you're just wondering at home, if you're just wondering, and I'd encourage you to look that up. But Because um, when I read this for the first time, I was like, where's the rest of it? <laughs> and if you do more study, it wasn't, some people, some would argue that the original translator didn't have it um, in the Greek, in Matthew or John, or, or Luke, I'm sorry, uh, or it wasn't in enough manuscripts, but I encourage you to look that, but look that up. But application, we must 
in the Christian ethos of your church, in the Christian ethos of wherever you have heard it. Maybe you're like me the first time I prayed, and I only heard this and never actually read it myself. And if that's the case, if you don't know that the Lord is holy and perfect all by himself, and that because of the sin of man, Adam and Eve in particular, in Genesis, that we are separated from God, and that God has to deal with our sin through death and punishment, whether it's slaughtering the ram in the bush, whether it's slaughtering the goat to cover uh, the ashamedness of Adam and Eve, or whether it's slaughtering his own son to deal with our sin. If you don't know that as a truth this morning, if you haven't put your hope and profession of faith and life in Jesus Christ, then you are not a son. You are not a child of God. And because of that, the Bible says that we are condemned to hell, that we deserve the full weight of the wrath of God, but he put it on Jesus instead. And for that, we can say amen. So if you would like to make that profession of faith, contact one of the pastors or contact the pastor in your own community or have that conversation with a, with a God-fearing believer who you know uh, holds this word as hallowed, as hallowed. Let's pray. Father, thank you for revealing yourself in Scripture. Thank you for showing us your marvelous beauty. It is when we see your beauty and we are overjoyed and astounded at who you are that we can fully understand whose we are, yours. We have the great privilege of calling you Abba Father because through the Son's work, through the sonship of Christ, through the redeeming work of Christ on the cross, we can now come to you, and you will hear us because we know what you've already told us, and you call us to pray what you have commanded us to do. We can look at Scripture as a model for prayer. We can look at your Psalms, even the parts that we don't quite understand. Help us, enlighten us to see your will, that your kingdom is greater than anything we can put together on this earth as a church. We love you and thank you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.